KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. Examining the vaccine rollout in San Diego from supply to hesitancy. Sometimes the ones that are impacted the highest are the ones that are more hesitant to receive the vaccine. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Today, Midday Edition brings you a special broadcast called The Road to 1.8 Vaccinated San Diegans. How can this vaccine rollout become clearer to the public? How can various agencies coordinate better? And when will we get all the vaccine we need? You know, I feel like a firefighter with a hose ready to go to put out this terrible fire that's killing people and the hydrant just isn't cooperating. We just, we need more doses. Join us for today's special panel discussion. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. The goal is to vaccinate 1.8 million people in San Diego County by July 1st. That's about 70% of the region's population over age 16. Currently, about 2% of our county is fully vaccinated. So what does the county need to do to reach that goal? Today, we bring you a recent KPBS panel discussion on the subject called The Road to 1.8 Vaccinated San Diegans. Moderator KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento was joined by guests Dr. Rodney Hood, a local physician who has served the Southeast San Diego community for decades. He's a member of the state's Vaccine Safety Advisory Group and one of the chairs of the county's Vaccine Clinical Advisory Group. He's also the president and founder of the Multicultural Health Foundation. Also joining the panel was Patty Mason, the CEO of UC San Diego Health, which is partnering with the county on community vaccinations, particularly the mass vaccination site at Petco Park. Their third panelist was Dr. Christian Ramers. He is the Chief of Population Health at the Family Health Centers of San Diego. Dr. Ramers is also on the county's clinical vaccine advisory panel. Here's reporter Taryn Mento. I want to first begin with hearing from each of you what you think your role is to get the county to this goal. So let's begin with you, Patty. What do you feel you are responsible for to get us to 1.8 million? I think we view it as our role at UC San Diego Health to work with our other uh, health systems, with our partners, with our community, with the county to get our community vaccinated as quickly as possible. Uh, we established uh, the first super uh, station uh, down at Petco Park in collaboration with the city of San Diego and the county of San Diego and the San Diego Padres. Uh, and today we hit 100,000 vaccinations given. So um, we're on the road. Um, we have a long way to go, but we, we're on the road. Thank you. Dr. Ramers, uh, same question to you. What do you see as your role to reach this goal? Dr. Hood and I are on the County Clinical Vaccine Advisory Committee, and really that committee was formed to advise the health officer, Dr. Wooten, and to advise the county on what we think should be the rollout and the implementation. And we've had meetings really every week 
uh, very passionate discussions about what we think is right, how we can maintain equity in the implementation, and then getting really into the weeds of how this looks. This is a really incredibly complicated operation. And I'm happy to say that we've made, I think, 17 or 18 formal motions and formal recommendations to the county. And Dr. Wooten has really looked through all of them and really taken action on the majority of things that we have presented. So that's uh, that's kind of my my personal role there. I speak Spanish, you know, as a bilingual doctor, I've, I've really done my best to try to speak to the Latino community about the, the risks and benefits of the vaccine, uh, trying to do community forums and um, educate our own providers at family health centers, as well as, you know, any Spanish language news outlets. And I will say that as an organization, family health centers is a federally qualified health center. We exist in a lot of the uh, neighborhoods that have been hit hardest by COVID. And so we are very much looking forward to and very much ramping up as more vaccine becomes available, being a community vaccination site. And we're already doing quite a bit of education to get people ready to get the vaccine. Thank you. And, and Dr. Hood, same question to you. What do you think your responsibility is to get us to 1.8 million? Uh, I really feel that I'm a part of the team here in uh, San Diego. And uh, for the last 40 years, I have spent time really as what I want to call an equity warrior. So uh, as a physician, I have done a lot of uh, community engagement and uh, really advocating for a new specialty in medicine called uh, uh, physician community organizer, because I think there needs to be a link between community and the uh, clinician. And so as uh, Christian talked about, I have been working not only with the uh, county, but with the state and nationally. So I hope to bring uh, equity lens when we talk about vaccine distribution um, if we're going to reach 1.8 million, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy individuals out there, and they fall into the realm of the people of color and underserved uh, communities. And I think it's important to have a message that will decrease that hesitancy. I also uh, recently joined uh, San Ysidro Health, and, uh, have uh, gotten involved. I was happy to learn that uh, San Ysidro Health is very engaged in this vaccine outreach. Uh, I think up to date, in less than a month, they've now vaccinated close to 5,000 individuals and uh, about uh, 300 a day. And I think the plan is to continue not only for the San Ysidro patients, but uh, beyond. Thank you. So again, I've broken this down into three key areas. The first is communication. That's the messaging and access necessary to get 1.8 million people to turn out for a vaccine. And and just to draw a loose comparison, about 1.6 million San Diegans voted in the 2020 general election. It was a smaller time frame, but there were lots of ads to get out to vote and people could actually vote from home. For our vaccination goal, we do have five months, but getting 1.8 million people out of their homes to sometimes wait in lines is going to be a big lift especially because at least right now they have to do it twice because there are only two dose vaccines. But we do know recently just today, um, the one dose vaccine from Johnson and Johnson, they did apply for their emergency use authorization authorization. So that should be coming soon. This first question is directed at Dr. Hood. You just hit on it. Equity. It's a key focus for you, a key focus for health officials. To get to 70%, everyone from all backgrounds has to do their part. They must be included. So what kind of messaging is needed from the county and vaccine providers to make sure information is reaching everyone? First of all, let me state, I think we're very fortunate here in California that we've had good leadership both at the state and the county level. And uh, when I talk to my colleagues across the uh, country, Uh, What I'm learning is that uh, we're quite fortunate here in uh, San Diego because the uh, community docs and the clinics and the partners have a good relationship with the county of uh, San Diego. They're listening to the input that we're uh, given. 
but if we are truly to achieve 1.8 in an equitable way, we need to have a specific strategy for the individuals in the populations that are impacted the highest. And sometimes the ones that are impacted the highest are the ones that are more hesitant to receive the vaccine. So we need to have direct, specific outreach and messages to those our communities. I'm happy to say that the uh, county has already funded local community-based organizations specifically aimed at Latinx communities, Asian communities, African-American communities, immigrant communities. And I think that that needs to continue. My hope is that we want to use COVID as a launch because we always talk about health inequities associated with COVID, but health inequities existed long before then. And I hope we use the model that we're developing for COVID to continue beyond COVID. You did just mention that the county is doing a good job with its messaging um, and, and trying to reach everyone. And Dr. Ramers, I'm going to come to you with this one. We do have a little bit of preliminary data on who has been getting vaccinated. And half of those who received vaccines were white. 14% were Hispanic or Latino, 12% Asian, and 2% Black, while 20% did identify as other race. Now, um, Dr. Wilma Wu, when I was just speaking with her, she's our county's public health officer, she did say that because we are in the um, stage of vaccinating primarily healthcare workers, this is perhaps a reflection of the poor uh, diversity that we have in the healthcare sector. Is, is this where you thought we would be at this stage or, or do we, is there more that needs to be done to turn people out from different backgrounds? Now, the data that's coming out right now is really addressing what happened in phase 1A, essentially, and, and that is mostly healthcare workers. And so, you know, it's it's a little difficult to critique the equity of that group because it's, it is what it is. And, and maybe you, you want to say there needs to be more people of color within healthcare. That's a different issue. Uh, the numbers are, are definitely skewed towards what doctors and nurses and healthcare workers uh, and people in phase 1A look like. So what we've done is within the uh, advisory committee, there are several subcommittees, one of which is an equity subcommittee. And one of the motions that we put forward is that this data needs to be shared in a transparent way to keep the county accountable to watch these numbers as we move into the general population. So I don't like where they are now, but they should, uh, they should get better as they move forward, particularly into phase 1B. I'll make one other comment, which is that, you know, we've had eyes on this, uh, Dr. Hood and myself on the committee really holding the county accountable. And there's a lot of other places in the country that don't have this equity focus. So I think we're already in a good spot. And we have very, like I said, passionate discussions and, and really, you know, making, pushing this. It takes extra effort to do things equitably. If you just let the chips fall where they may, the populations that need these interventions the least tend to go first. It's actually in the medical literature, something called the reverse equity hypothesis. So it does take extra effort uh, to do things equitably. And those of us that are on the ground, on the front lines have seen the disproportionate impact of this, this infection on people of color, on neighborhoods, um, in terms of case rates and hospitalizations and deaths. So we know it takes extra work. And I'm happy to see the county responding to some of our recommendations by locating some of the vaccination sites in the South Bay, for example, um, the Superstation in, in Chula Vista, for example. Um, so those are really concrete actions. Uh, rather than just saying, we're gonna do this with an equity lens, we say, okay, that's really nice to say that, but what are your actions gonna do to back that up? Um, I'm gonna transition to our second subtopic here, which is scheduling. So Patty, we've heard stories of older seniors 
needing help with scheduling because a lot of it is done online. So how is UCSD identifying and contacting eligible patients, especially those who aren't as tech savvy or, or may not have great internet access? Um, you know, the county has established their two-on-one system. Um, we have a callback system that allows us to contact people. And then we just walk them through the system of getting registered. Um, a, day, a day doesn't go by when we're, we aren't on the phone helping folks work through the registration process and, and get folks scheduled. Um, but we've got ways to go there. I think we've got some new proposals coming for how we can better equip our, our seniors and others who are, who are not as tech savvy to get scheduled. I'm going to jump to our, our last subtopic in the section, which is hesitation. And I know it's important to all of you, but I know, Dr. Hood, this is particularly important to you and you as well, Dr. Ramers. Um, so, Dr. Hood, there have been polls that show a large number of Americans aren't sure if they'll get the vaccine. How should providers and, and public messaging uh, be addressing that? These vaccine hesitancies didn't occur overnight. They existed before COVID and they have actually been exacerbated because of COVID, because of the prior administration's poor communication, lack of trust in the messaging, and it even made it worse. So there needs to be a focused outreach to African-Americans, Latinx, Asians, giving them the message that you can trust this vaccine, and this is why. And I put it into three categories. There are those who are vaccine acceptors, they just need access and know where to go and how to go, we need a strategy for that. There are those who are vaccine hesitant. What they need is a little knowledge, education, and uh, you can decrease that. And then you have the vaccine objectors that for a whole lot of reasons, no matter what you say, may not get the vaccine. And we need to be very respectful of them and talk about mitigation techniques that include masks, et cetera. And then measure our success from now as to is that decreasing over time. The next section is on coordination. This is focused on the logistics of space, staff, and stuff. And I'd like to start with Patty. Patty, UCSD and the county launched the first vaccination super site, um, and staff are there are getting through 5,000 to 6,000, and I believe you set it up within a matter of days. Can you walk through the process to pull that off? Sure. It was uh, it was really an amazing couple of days. We sat and... and uh, met with our county partners and talked about how we were going to get more vaccine in arms. And we said, this was on a Wednesday, and we said, okay, what is it going to take to get 5,000 vaccines in arms by next Monday? So this was five days later. And um, we said, let's do it. From there, we picked up the phone. I talked to uh, the Padres leadership. They were all in. We can have their parking lot, um, their support team, their events coordinators, um, the county brought their vaccine and their support. The, the city came in with, with support. And uh, so we, we kind of had all the right pieces. It all came together at the right time to, to, to roll it out. It's complicated. You need uh, internet. You need a, a doc of the day because people do have reactions to the vaccine. So you need uh, a physician who can respond to uh, emergencies. Uh, you need to figure out the triage and the gating and the registration and the IT and the observation and how the cars are going to flow. So lots of great minds came together to build out the site. And as I said, we, it wasn't perfect day one. We continued to make improvements as, as it went on. It's um, And even today, you know, we know that there are traffic problems and 
the roads roads are getting clogged certain times of the day, but it has um, been pretty effective. We've actually this last weekend delivered uh, six thousand doses on Saturday and six thousand on Sunday. So um, it's it's been pretty effective. We're going to need these sites because uh, we have multiple super sites. We're going to need them for months. Are they sustainable? Do we have everything that we're going to continue to need here. So no problem. Don't need to worry about it. Oh, you always need to worry about things, you know, and I think, again, what's been smart about the strategy in San Diego um, in our road to 1.8 million is um, we do have multiple super sites. So the Chula Vista site has been established with with Sharp, the Sharp system and the East Bay site has been established. The North uh, site has been established. We're going to be opening up a new site on our San Diego uh, La Jolla campus on Monday, uh, which will serve as another uh, super site. So all of this network is coming together. So if, for instance, like when the winds came, it completely decimated Petco Park uh, tailgate parking lot for two days. We were out of commission for two days, but we've got all these other super sites around the region that can pick up the slack. So I think we've built a really nice network uh, where we can cross cover each other. Coming up, more discussion on coordinating vaccine distribution as our special broadcast continues. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Kavanaugh. Our special broadcast of the KPBS online panel discussion, The Road to 1.8 Vaccinated San Diegans, continues. Our guests are Dr. Rodney Hood and Dr. Christian Ramers, both on the county's Vaccine Clinical Advisory Group, and Patty Mason, the CEO of UC San Diego Health. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento continues the discussion on vaccine coordination. Dr. Ramers, Family Health Centers is in the process of planning your own vaccination clinics. I was there this morning. What challenges around logistics are you seeing right now? Well, I think the most important one is just we don't have enough vaccine. You know, I feel like a firefighter with a hose ready to go to put out this terrible fire that's killing people and the hydrant just isn't cooperating. We just we need more doses. Um but we're getting there. I think uh, that there was a question in the chat about the supply. There's a slow and steady supply that's coming. And now that we've really made it through almost all of our healthcare workers in phase 1A, we're going to be moving towards the general public. Um, and we want to do it in, in a way that's convenient for people in their neighborhoods. So one of the elements that, that Dr. Hood was uh, mentioning about hesitancy really has, has to do with deep mistrust. And if you have been in a neighborhood for 30 to 40 years providing healthcare to the community, you, you have a real high degree of credibility and trust. And so we've actually been doing in reach now that we can vaccinate uh, those above age 65 that are our patients in reach where we send a text message the same way we do to our patients who are coming in for a clinic visit we've had a very high acceptance rate and in our first 2000 people vaccinated that were non staff or non healthcare workers 83% were people of color so we we feel like we are in a good position to work through some of these mistrust issues and in fact there was a survey commissioned by the county uh, looking at San Diegans attitudes towards vaccination and clearly Uh, one of the most trusted sources of information is a patient's own physician. It's that private conversation. And um, if you'll excuse me to go back to hesitancy one more time, we had some healthcare workers in our system that actually did refuse um, and declined. And I gave my personal cell phone number to every single one of them and said, I will have the conversation with you if you want. And I got 
hundreds of calls over several weeks. And hesitancy means a different thing to each person. It's not just one thing, except in the really extreme cases where people think vaccines have microchips in them and that kind of thing. But everyone just wants to have a conversation and wants to get their questions answered. And most people with a good conversation with their trusted healthcare provider will get to the point that they feel safe. And these vaccines are just incredibly safe. And the benefits that you feel once you've been fully vaccinated are profound. We're having people crying when they're getting vaccinated because they're so happy to do it. Um, so those are kind of the issues that we're seeing. It's going to be challenging. There's still a lot of um, uh, resistance and, and reticence, I would say, out there. But I feel like we can work through it. You know, Dr. Hood, the other struggle we've heard from county officials and, and other people, um, you know, it, that are vaccinators is that there just aren't enough staff on enough vaccinators. The governor has has made a lot more people eligible. Dentists, you know, were are now eligible and that got a lot of attention. Um, and the county says it has heard from hundreds of volunteers. So, like, how do we why do we keep hearing that staffing is a problem? It seems like we have enough people to go around. First of all, uh, I think right now the main problem is uh, vaccine shortage. What San Diego has done very well is built out capacity. So they have capacity to do more vaccinations with the current staffing than the amount of vaccinations there. However, as we move forward, and especially as we expect a new vaccine to come on, when we get to the general population, that may be more and more of a problem. But I think uh, preparing for these two vaccines that have been approved, the Pfizer and the Moderna, there are a lot of storage issues and how you administer, et cetera, um, the allergic issues that we've seen with them. So there's a lot of our precautions uh, that are taken with this new vaccine because it is new that aren't taken with uh, other vaccines. So you really wanna be in a, a setting where if there is an allergic reaction, which overall is very rare, uh, somebody can uh, administer it to you. So it's not as simple as the flu vaccine. So it's more staffing and more caution to go along. Uh, the hope is, is that with the new vaccine that doesn't have the same storage issues and can be given once, uh, it would become easier. Just another point about the staff, if that's okay. You know, number Please. one, you know, we're trying, to, we're trying to staff up to do the vaccination at a period of time where we've gone through the worst surge of the pandemic since it began, right? So all of our clinical staff are working in the hospital. They're taking care of really sick patients. Um, we're diverting their attention a bit to the superstations and to places where vaccinations are given. But that's where the creativities come in. Yes, we have our nurses who are now giving vaccinations, um, but we're also looking at our pharmacy students and our medical students and training up our EMS and others who can be vaccinators. Um, the community outpouring for volunteerism has been amazing. So people really want to come help do this work. Our physicians who, um, who staff our facilities um, are finding it to be some of the most rewarding work they've done in years, this ability to give vaccines and watch the reaction of people who are just overjoyed with uh, you know, relief. But the staff, that's kind of the tension with the staffing. And I will say in the chat, actually, some person just said that they received their vaccine and they cried while receiving it. And so did the um, registered nurse at Petco Park. It's uh, true. So I'm going to go right ahead to our last <laughs> section, which is vaccination um, and supply. It's what we've been talking about. Supply continues to be what officials and providers say is the barrier. Um, but now we have a new federal administration, new partners announced at the state level. Um, so Patty, can you briefly explain how allocations work now and what you're hearing regarding the changes in leadership, how that would potentially improve supply challenges? 
Well, I think the um, how, how, how it has been working to date is that, um, at least for UC San Diego, because we're part of a multi-county um, system, the University of California, we do receive al- um, allocations through the state for our healthcare workers and our patients, but it's very, very small. The state also provides vaccine to the, to the county who disperses it. And for instance, for Petco Park, we get our vaccination allocation from the county. The challenge is, and I know this is what everyone's been talking about, is um, how quickly are people getting vaccine into arms? And, and again, I think we've been in a pretty good position in San Diego, not just at UC San Diego, but throughout the region uh, in terms of getting vaccine in arms and situating San Diego region to show that we have the capacity and the ability to move quickly to get vaccine in arms and therefore deserve more vaccine to then go ahead and continue to, to distribute it into arms. So I think, you know, we've, we've strategically tried to position our region as one that has a lot of capabilities and a lot of commitment. And uh, therefore we should, we should get more vaccine because we've demonstrated we can, we're not letting it sit in the freezers. It's not sitting weeks on end, but um, within a very short period of time, we're getting it, getting it into arms. And the final subtopic I want to get into is prioritization. Everyone wants to know when it's their turn. Um, and we know that the, you know, right now we're in healthcare workers, long-term care facilities, and people 65 and older, but the next group is going to be based on people in certain industries. So uh, Dr. Ramers, can you give us um, a quick rundown of who those individuals are going to be and maybe why people might be hearing that those individuals are being vaccinated in other regions and not yet in San Diego? This goes back to, you know, the National Academy of Sciences had a really nicely run um, open public forum to decide how we make these phases. And it was really two goals. Let's vaccinate people who are at risk of dying and let's vaccinate people who are at risk of catching COVID because of their occupation or their work and are more likely to spread it. And based on those two main principles, adding in equity and ethics, they had a nice forum and developed these phases. And then, unfortunately, they were changed by the CDC a little bit. And then they were, unfortunately, changed by CDPH a little bit. And then things kept being tweaked, really. Every couple of weeks, we'd say, well, no, it's 75, now it's 65. So it is maddening to me as a vaccinator, um, and I'm sure it's maddening to the public. But I think we're getting to the point where we now have a nice plan being laid forward, and we are all working on communication of that plan. There is an app or a website called myturn.ca.gov that is now going to be kind of the go-to place to find out if it's your turn. And all you got to do is enter in your age uh, and whether you have underlying medical conditions and what your occupation is. Uh, So to your question, as we're moving into phase 1B, we've now made it through the greater than age 65, which are clearly the highest risk of dying. 75% of the deaths of COVID have happened in the 65 years old and older. And thank goodness that we've made good progress on that. But there's now studies showing that really, well, where is all the transmission happening? The transmission is happening amongst essential workers who, uh, you know, because of their job, because of what they have to do, they don't have a choice, they need a paycheck, they have to come out and work in public and have contact with people. So that's where you get into these next sectors. And I'll just read it off the county website. Transportation industry, we're talking bus drivers, um, systems and logistics, industrial, commercial, residential, uh, child care, emergency services, and food and agriculture. So that really is a nice, broad smattering of essential workers. And there's one more group, which is congregate settings with outbreak potential. So it's a very important question because it's going to be relatively difficult to track who these people are. Um, and then, uh, and what we really don't want to do is, is being the, the documentation police and, and turning people away after waiting in line for a couple hours to get a vaccine. Uh, last comment I'll make, and then I'm interested in my co-panelists' thoughts, is that the 
state in order to be more expedient about everything and just to remove all these barriers made yet another change and said, well, we might just go down to do uh, age-based vaccination only. Now, our committee deliberated on this and had some very important discussions. Basically, if we just did age, that would jump over the entirety of phase 1B. That was very carefully thought out to be essential workers most likely to transmit the infection. And it would allow people to be frank, who have very easy ability to protect themselves, who've been telecommuting, um, who have uh, high resources to just sort of jump in front of all those other essential workers. And we as a county recommended, we as a committee, I should say, recommended to the health officer that we not do that scheme. And we stick with the way the the phases were originally um, laid out uh, by CDC and other people. It's gonna mean that we have to work a little extra hard to, to very clearly communicate when it's people's turn and then have an easy way to verify that people will qualify. And I'm going to toss it over to Patty because being a big provider, um, UCSD, how would you go about actually identifying people by their jobs? Like, how is this going to work? Well, with respect to, I'm going to talk about the two finite populations that we're looking at, not so much in the superstation, but in the, um, in our universe. Um, So for our patients, you know, we, we are using our electronic medical record. Um, we've got a risk-based algorithm that we use to um, identify our patients and risk stratify them. Um, we use uh, another index, the Healthy Place Index, which allows us to also um, take into account social justice, social equity measures as we um, rank our patients and bring them in for vaccination. You know, the campus workers followed pretty much the tiers that um, Christian just outlined. I'm going to give you one other idea, though, that I think is important. It's not actually, it, there's, there has been confusion. You actually can find the answer for where you are um, and kind of where you are in the tiers, but people don't always like that answer. And uh, I have to say that I've seen some of the most outrageous behavior that I've seen in my career of people who don't like the answer and want to try to ask it a different way. And I make this point because I think it's reflective of this incredible anxiety people have about this virus and what it might mean to them and their families. And there's just such a high degree of anxiety that um, they're going to keep pushing until they can get the answer they want the answers are not going to change. So wherever you are, those answers aren't going to change. If if they change, we'll make a big deal about it and we'll make sure people know. Still ahead, the conclusion of our special, The Road to 1.8 Vaccinated San Diegans. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.
This is KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Maureen Cavanaugh. Our special broadcast of the KPBS online panel discussion, The Road to 1.8 Vaccinated San Diegans, continues. Our guests are Dr. Rodney Hood and Dr. Christian Ramers, both on the county's Vaccine Clinical Advisory Group, and Patty Mason, the CEO of UC San Diego Health. KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento continues the discussion with audience questions. Robin asks, Tijuana, San Diego is really one region. What are we doing to help slow the pandemic south of the border, which will continue to affect us north of the border? I'm going to, Robin, I hope you don't mind. I'm going to kind of tweak that a little bit and kind of how um, is our vaccine rollout or our goal to vaccinate affected by what Mexico is doing on their side? And Dr. Reimers, I know you're familiar a little bit, so I'm going to throw that one over to you. Yeah, this is a complicated issue. Um, I host a Spanish language uh, sort of discussion forum twice a week for clinicians all throughout Latin America. And it's been very interesting to see the vaccination rollout from the Latin American perspective. Um, First of all, because, you know, just a couple of months ago, we were not even part of the WHO. And we were not part of the COVAX facility, which is the global response by WHO to vaccinate lower and middle income countries who can't pay top dollar for Pfizer and Moderna type vaccines. Uh, Just now, I'm happy to say that in Mexico, they're rolling out Pfizer vaccine, and they actually have access to a Russian vaccine called Sputnik, uh, which many were very skeptical of a while ago. But just yesterday, the phase three results were published in The Lancet, and it looks good. It looks safe and effective, 91.6% efficacy uh, and relatively few safety events. So it is happening, but uh, I think most of the Latin American countries that I am in contact with are just now in the early phase 1A. Uh, so to speak, where only healthcare workers are starting to get vaccinated. But you're absolutely right. Infectious diseases do not respect borders. We know that from tuberculosis or HIV or, or viral hepatitis. Just because of the international regulations, we can't be vaccinating people from a different country. They're sort of uh, subject to different forces and different systems. Um, but it's a good it's a good point. And um, we are, you know, none of us are going to be safe until all of us are safe. I think I heard Tedros, the UN director say that, you know, what about international travel? It's just going to start all over again if we don't have very high vaccination rates, not just in rich countries, but in poor countries as well. And I do know that speaking with Dr. Wilma Wooten, um, those who may live on uh, the Mexico side of the border and do cross because they are essential workers, so individuals coming over and working alongside of San Diegans on this side of the border um, would be able to get access vaccinations according to the eligibility schedule. One of the uh, questions that we got, is there enough confidence and supply that there will be plenty to have second dose available when that time comes for all of the individuals that we're vaccinating with the first dose? Patty, maybe, because you've been working a lot? Yeah, I I think we believe that we'll have second doses available. You know, we've been instructed and we've made that decision to go ahead and give as as much of the vaccine into arms as we can um, every week and uh, expect to be replenished. And so far, that's been the case. Can I just uh, chime in? Yeah, I I totally agree with that. So far, I don't really, I I haven't really seen the problem with not getting the uh, second dose. And I I think we just have to hope and pray that uh, uh, the uh, supply continues. Uh, Just to tie back to what Dr. Raymond said about the global issue, uh, one of the uh, data that I saw really concerned me in that we're real concerned about reaching herd immunity here, but in some of the other poor countries that haven't even started vaccinating, they're going to breed more and more variants. And we're already dealing with uh, variants here that are uh, resisting. And uh, so even if we reach herd immunity here and other countries did not, they're going to develop 
variants that may be resistant to the vaccine that we're relying on. So I think we need to look beyond our borders if we're really talking about getting, quote, back to normal. We did actually get a question about the vaccine and against the new variants from Rohini um, Mandayam. And um, will the current strain, will the current vaccines protect against new variants? And I guess how threatened is this goal of vaccinating people against this virus when we keep hearing about these variants? And Dr. Ramos, I'll, I'll direct that one to you. Well, for me, why infectious diseases are so fascinating, it's an arms race, really, between the amazing scientific developments that we've made in these vaccines and then evolution, which happens before our eyes. That's what's happening here. And we have good confidence that the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines that are currently in use actually do have very good activity against the B117 variant. And that's the one that is more contagious, first described in the UK. Uh, doesn't look maybe slightly more virulent and causes a little bit more severe disease. There's some big debate about that. But that is the one that our mathematical modelers say is most likely to take over in San Diego, and our vaccines should still work against that. Not the same story with the other variants, the, the 501YV2 or the 501YV3, uh, which come from Brazil and South Africa, where the vaccine efficacy really does drop quite a bit. Um, not to zero, but down to sort of the 50-60% range. And I have to, just a little tale of caution here, I have a colleague in Mexico City that uh, in one of our um, sessions has said, we're seeing a lot of reinfections. And reinfections should be very, very, very rare. We know that 95% of people after they get COVID develop a very nice immune response that should protect them. If they're seeing an uptick in reinfections, that makes me think, does that mean there's a different strain going on? And the genomic surveillance capability of Mexico, I think is very weak. It's not the UK where they're doing all this genomic surveillance. The CDC in our country, and thank goodness we have the Scripps Institute here that is capable of doing this stuff. That's the reason why San Diego describes so many of these variants. But we're flying blind in a lot of other countries, and it's very concerning to me that some uh, escape variants might emerge that may not be protected um, from the vaccines. And in the Q&As, we're getting a lot of questions actually about the issue of scheduling and online um, and, and lack of internet access, English proficiency, um, or just uh, not tech savvy. And I know, Patty, I directed that at you earlier, but I you know, Dr. Hood, um, you know, I'd like to ask, we uh, we do have this statewide website, you know, it's my turn, Dr. Ramers, you brought it up. Is that reaching everybody? Is that the best statewide approach to take um, if that's going to be the one place we're sending everybody? First of all, let me uh, step back. This is like the vaccines were authorized for emergency use. These programs that the state and the county are putting together are being put together on emergency use. So many times when you put them together, retrospectively, you look back, it's not always the best. My answer to you is, I think we're going to need more than just that site, especially for the vulnerable population. I can tell you uh, just uh, in my own family, my own patients, they have been a lot of problems using that site. And so unless they have somebody that could actually help them, that's where the outreach comes from. Many of the grants that the county gave, multicultural and uh, Chicano Federation, et cetera, we've hired uh, community health workers. One of the things they're doing is helping these individuals actually navigate these uh, sites. So it's helping, but there aren't enough uh, community health workers. We're going to need more. I think the other thing is this is where uh, Batyal, the fourth year medical student, comes in that uh, where maybe we should consider whether state, county, reserving certain number of uh, places for folks who live in certain uh, zip codes, realizing that they're going to have more difficulty accessing 
because what happens is they've got 100 spots and in 30 minutes, those are gone. And folks who are less tech savvy have difficulty uh, accessing that. Um, we just got a question from our YouTube audience um, from Renata Brandau. Is there a chance we'll have to take the vaccine again in a year like the flu shot? Yes, there is a chance. And in fact, the, the companies that came out with the first vaccines are already working on new versions that would protect against some of these other strains. Um, it's not surprising, you know, that what ha that's what happens with the flu every year. We put three different flu strains into the flu vaccine trying to guess what's going to happen. So it may be that we need boosters in order to protect it. The nice thing about this mRNA vaccine platform, it is just an ingenious innovation, really, when you think about how, how, how fast it's actually happened and how effective these vaccines are, is that you can just put a different piece of M mRNA in the vaccine that codes for a different looking spike protein from, for example, the South African variant. And then we would have boosters um, to, to be able to give. And so I know that Pfizer and Moderna and actually Novavax, which has not been approved yet, are all looking at uh, new versions and we may need those. Another question we got was from Suzanne Roybal and she wants to know, are there opportunities for the general public to volunteer in some capacity for vaccine distribution, potentially helping people schedule vaccine appointments or something that does not require a medical license? And I see Dr. Hood and Patty nodding their heads. So Dr. Hood? We're really at the... Uh... 25%. But as we move forward, there's a large number of folks we need to uh, vaccinate. And just as you said, there's going to be a lot of folks, even if we simplify it, that's going to need help. So I know at the uh, Multicultural Health Foundation, we're looking for volunteers. I know the county is looking for volunteers. So uh, the answer is uh, yes, especially as we move forward. Patty, do you have any opportunities for volunteers in the so general public? Yes, there there are, and so if you go on to if you you know go into uh, you could even search UCSD vaccination super site volunteering something like that. Put that in the search. I don't remember the exact link. Um, it'll pull up, and you can see you go in and and volunteer. Um, put your name in to volunteer. The, the county also has a link on their website um, that you can put your name in and volunteer as well. You'll get you know you'll get screened and go through a process and get contacted, and then you'll be able to help. You know, as we open up our second superstation on Monday, we're, we are going to need some more volunteers. So we're really looking for more support. We're, we're fortunate because um, this site is going to be on our UC San Diego Health Campus, our UC San Diego campus. So our our undergraduates, I, my understanding is 2,500 of our undergraduates have already volunteered to uh, help out. So that's it's a reflection of the kind of students that, that we have that they're willing to do that. Um, I'm going to go to one question that a colleague of mine asked earlier, which is um, there are a lot of concerns, and this gets kind of back to the anti-vaccination, um, a lot of concerns that people have with hearing about these extreme reactions, um, adverse reactions and allergic reactions. And then there was a, a report up um, about Northern, Northern California that an individual died shortly after they had been vaccinated, but they weren't drawing a complete connection to the vaccine. So Dr. Rimmers, can you address um, kind of, first of all, how should family members guide people to the correct information when they are bringing this up? And what do we know about um, the consequences and how severe they are about the vaccines? Yeah, this is a case where social media and the internet can really work against you and people go down rabbit holes and all kinds of really bad information that's out there. Um, I think you need to go to trusted sources and, and thankfully the CDC has really stepped up and have been very transparent about this. In fact, they just had a meeting on January 27th where they reviewed the data from vSafe. And vSafe, if you've gotten a vaccine, is the app that goes on your phone and it reminds you every day to put in how you're feeling and really, really nice data collection. 
and they've now had over 21 million vaccines that have been given in the United States. That is a huge number and way more than the clinical trials. And it is very, very reassuring. These anaphylactic reactions are incredibly rare, like one in 400,000 kind of rare. Um, and you're, you're much more likely to die in a car accident. I think it's one in 105 or so is your likelihood of dying in a car accident. So just getting the information out there, these are very, very, very rare events. And they tend to happen in people that have already had severe allergic reactions in their life. Now, when you get a vaccine, you're likely to have some symptoms from it. This is, I don't even like calling them side effects because they're expected effects. This is how vaccines work. And people should not be afraid of these. It's, it really generally lasts a day or less and is mostly gonna be a sore arm. 70 to 80% of people have a sore arm. And then maybe 20 to 30% will have something like fatigue or feeling achy. Uh, I got my second dose. I felt achy for about a day and still was able to work and see patients and then it was over. So. Um, just expect that. Don't expect that it's going to be nothing. But I like to use the, you know, there's, we're in San Diego, there's the Marine Corps here. We send our Marines to war to fight against our enemies. And first they have to go through boot camp. Okay. And they're going to be a little bit sore after boot camp. That's part of the deal. This is an incredible way to train your immune system to literally protect you from a deadly disease. It's okay to have a day or two of side effects. And if you're on the front lines and you've seen people suffering and dying, I had a really rough week because two people very close to me died of COVID. Um, then you weigh these things and come on a day or two of a headache, weighing against the potential for having um, death of yourself or death of your parents or being the one, I can't imagine the pain of someone who's younger who gives this virus to their parents and then watches them die. Um, so let's be really you know, clear-eyed about what the risks really are here. They're incredibly small from the vaccine. Um, and, and really high and kind of unknown and unpredictable from the virus itself, including things like long COVID, which we really don't know what to do about at all. Yeah, if I can just add to that, first of all, I think what Dr. Raymond said is right on. And I think this is a critical issue because I too get called. And uh, we are now prioritizing 75, 65 years and older. Guess what? They have coronary artery disease, diabetes, hypertension, and prior to COVID, they've been dying of heart attacks, strokes, and kidney problems. Therefore, people are going to die or have severe adverse, but doesn't mean it's related to the vaccine. So I've, I've gotten two or several calls on that where they said, I heard somebody died after getting me a vaccine and this person was 80 years of age. So uh, just because something happens doesn't mean it's related to the vaccine. If I could share one anecdote on this topic, we had a woman come through several weeks ago, our, our Petco um, site, and she did have an anaphylactic reaction. And we had our team there and, and they took her to the hospital. This happened in the morning. She came back later that night, tears in her eyes, and just thanked our team for giving her the vaccine. So, yep, I had a reaction and yes, people took care of me, but you know what? I have the vaccine now. That was Patty Mason, CEO of UC San Diego Health, Dr. Rodney Hood, founder of the Multicultural Health Foundation, and Dr. Christian Ramers, Chief of Population Health at Family Health Centers of San Diego. They were speaking with KPBS health reporter Taryn Mento for a panel on the road to 1.8 million vaccinated San Diegans. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.